Hi, and welcome to Figure of Speech, a new program from WRBH, where every week you can meet local poets and fiction writers from the New Orleans community and listen to them share their work. This episode, we welcome on poet Gina Ferreira. Take a listen. Hi, I'm Gina Ferreira, and I'm going to read some poems today. The first few poems I'm going to read aren't my own. I brought some poems by Sylvia Plath, by Yusef Komenyaka, and from Malika Favorite, as well as my own poems. So here's a poem written by Sylvia Plath in 1959. It's called Mushrooms. Overnight, very whitely, discreetly, very quietly, our toes, our noses take hold on the loam, acquire the air. Nobody sees us, stops us, betrays us. The small grains make room. Soft fists insist on heaving the needles, the leafy bedding, even the paving. Our hammers, our rams, earless and eyeless, perfectly voiceless, widen the crannies, shoulder through holes. We diet on water, on crumbs of shadow, bland-mannered, asking little or nothing. So many of us, so many of us, we are shelves, we are tables, we are meek, we are edible, nudgers and shovers in spite of ourselves, our kind multiplies. We shall, by morning, inherit the earth, our foots in the door. And then another one by Plath. Um, I've always really liked her imagery. I've always loved the momentum of her poetry, just kind of how fast the poems seem to travel to get where they're going. The Night Dances. A smile fell in the grass, irretrievable. And how will your night dances lose themselves in mathematics? Such pure leaps and spirals, surely they travel. The world forever, I shall not entirely sit emptied of beauties, the gift of your small breath, the drenched grass, smell of your sleeps, lilies, lilies, their flesh bears no relation, cold folds of ego, the calla and the tiger embellishing itself spots and a spread of hot petals. The comets have such a space to cross, such coldness, forgetfulness, so your gestures flake off, warm and human, then their pink light bleeding and peeling through the black amnesia of heaven. Why am I given these lamps, these planets, falling like blessings, like flakes, six-sided, white, on my eyes, my lips, my hair, touching and melting nowhere. The next poem that I'm going to read is one by Yusef Komenyaka, who is from Bogalusa. And um, many years ago, as I was really lucky enough to hear him read this poem at the Goldmine Saloon. And this poem has always uh, stuck with me. It's called Anodyne. Anodyne. I love how it swells into a temple where it is held prisoner, where the god of blame resides. I love slopes and peaks, the secret paths that make me selfish. I love my crooked feet, shaped by vanity and work, shoes made to outlast belief, the hardness coupling milk it can't fashion. 
I love the lips, salt and honeycomb on the tongue, the hair holding off rain and snow, the white moons on my fingernails. I love how everything begs blood into song and prayer inside an egg. A ghost hums through my bones like Pan's midnight flute, shaping internal laws beside a troubled river. I love this body made to weather the storm in the brain, raised out of the deep smell of fish and water hyacinth, out of rapture and the first regret. I love my big hands. I love it clear down to the soft, quick motor of each breath, the liver's ten kinds of desire, and the kidney's lust for sugar. This skin, this sack of dung and joy, this spleen floating like a compass needle inside nighttime, always divining West Africa's dusty horizon. I love the birthmark posed like a fighting cock on my right shoulder blade. I love this body, this solo and ragtime jubilee behind the left nipple because I know I was born to wear out at least 100 angels. The next poem that I want to read is one by Malika Favorite, who she actually lives in St. John Parish, and uh, she's a visual artist as well as a poet. And I think that'll be pretty clear when you hear this poem. The poem is called The River Flows Through Us for J.R. The river flows through us, making us one. We're the crabs that skirt the borders of the river's dress. We're the bridges that step across the intestine of the Mississippi snake. We fish ourselves out, scale our skin, and eat our own hearts. The mud swirl is my skin clayed to perfection by the endless caressing of the mud silk. In dry seasons, with cornbread and syrup, we eat the river that washed our feet and combed our hair, curled around our bed, and coursed through our dreams. In tears, I cry the river, wet clay walking down my spine, the river flowing in my veins, red as a chafalaya, the river cleansing me, keeping me in a state of clay. The inner bones baked a sculptural form that bends and moves levees, destroys bridges, and weaves palmettos into a sleeping basket for my new clay baby, rocking in my river cradle, waiting to be born of mud and foam. The river coursing through me, pushing her out of the small river womb into the larger river, family uniting us, a river culture, fishing our hair into lines, netting our braids into songs. We sing the river, the rhythm unidentified is river roll, river sweat, river mud, river sticks. We are rivers flowing into each other's basins. How can we wash our hands without flowing into each other? So I'm going to read some poems from a book of mine that came out in 2013. It was published by WordTech communications. And I think the poems in here, I would describe them as being narrative and imagistic. They certainly have, I think, images of Louisiana 
um, southern Louisiana in them. Uh, this is the first poem in the book. It's called The Rarities of Green. Two kiwis are in my bag. I've picked the unbruised for you to try, halved, oblong down the center to tropical ovals beneath thin, indigent skin that separates so easily when urged. The insides are darker than peridot, you tell me, lighter than emerald, and somewhere within your spectrum of gems is the rarest, the ripened green. Another poem about fruit near Macon. We pick the ripest harbingers of light, and those, even on the cusp, promises cupped and fallen, scooped from the ground, placed in a plywood crate. Wood splinters with abandon like dandelions in March. Skins nearly burst in scarlet-tinged tantrums, almost purple without burdens of blood vessels or ventricles, dense eternities of flesh before stone. Across three states, we drove on an impulse to gather and glean craved fruit not found in Eden. So the next poem that I'm going to read is um, a poem that I wrote for my husband. It's called The Glinting Rhythm. And the poem is actually was inspired by the Prospect One art exhibit that was um, in town immediately after Hurricane Katrina. The, the exhibit had these musical pedal boats that we took a ride on. And this about that, it's called The Glinting Rhythm. Admit it, today could be the best moment you've ever had in my concave city. Your downpours, evictions, evacuations, broken heart and skid marks dissolve on an afternoon where rust and orange mums are placed beneath names of the dead. Here, there are no mounds. Everyone succumbs to mortar and alabaster. You become unstuck, acquiescing to a fluency that flows without language. The paddle wheel turns percussive. Measured as a haiku, we push, pedal beneath the bridge, metal touches metal and moves brackish jade water named for a zealot saint. My red hat keeps slipping from my head. You steer us back into sunlight, and we marvel at the sight and sound of steel, glinting a rhythm, a recurring dream, where three ibises rise like hope from flotsam. And another poem from this book is called Transparent Fear. It kind of explains a little bit about my grandmother who was always afraid of water. Nana never swam with us because it was water that killed her mother, her mother who came from Sicilian rock and soil, Etna's rumble heard in the distance, her silver dollar face prominent as a stamp, pleated skirts, painful ankle boots, eternal matriarchal stare from a mother of pearl frame on the break front next to the clock stopped at random hours. Nana became a rhetorical question, 
an echo across sheared sugar fields after her father broke the news of her mother drowning in the body of Bayou Black. She never learned to swim, remained on the beach, safe from the water's edge where wind stirred grit and sand. And then I'm going to read the title poem from this collection. Um, I grew up during the Vietnam War, and there's a memory that I have of when the war was finally over. It's called Amber Porchlight. The amber porch light tinged our skin sanguine orange when my mother and I stood on the steps ringing our small bells the night the Vietnam War ended. The termites swarmed our white wooden house, frantic pink-yellow wings, nearly transparent, thin as paper, circumventing above us, ruthless vermin, menacing cloud, silent little enemies. We kept ringing for peace in the amber light at my mother's insistence, though it seemed the delicate peels were attracting hundreds and hundreds of bugs with the vast capacity to devour. So um, in 2014, I had a small collection of poems published, a chapbook, and all of the poems in it um, were inspired by the Leprosarium, the leper colony that's located in Carville, Louisiana. That colony was opened in the 1890s and had thousands and thousands of patients who were uh, cared for there. The day that I went there, it was just a beautiful April day, and the land is gorgeous. And I think what really struck me immediately was just the beauty of the land sort of coupled with the very sad stories of people who did go to Carville. Once you went to Carville, you didn't leave. Patients often had to take on different identities for fear of shaming their family. So the first poem that I'm going to read is called Arrival at Carville. When the first patients did arrive at Carville, they actually got to the to the colony on a barge, um, and this is about that. Arrival at Carville. I heard rumors about the river flowing in two different directions, whispers, murmurs, accusations rampant, past and present, a convergence of one, I am not the river changing its course, no one answers the rhetorical, this is my fate, is this my fate? I have lesions and shame on this coal-carrying barge. My name and self have succumbed, falling overboard into obscure duplicity. I am flowing in two directions, like the river of what is and what was. Sheathed in soot darker than any omen, the barge stops. Lumps and black briquettes tumble then break. Ibises wade along the banks. I disembark with the others beneath Orion's belt, my fingerless hand unable to point at those stars cinching heaven. So one of the things that I learned when I was doing research for this book is in the Middle Ages, um, anyone who had 
leprosy, now known as Hansen's disease, um, actually had to either carry a rattle with them or a bell. And often they were sort of outfitted in different clothes so that they could stand out um, because the fear of, of catching the disease was so great. This is called the bell carrier. I come to your town to beg for a pittance with no chance of forgiveness. Larger than print, I am obvious as a zebra in my black coat with white rope. I am near, close enough to breathe your air, to share your seasons. Holding a bell with my two-fingered hand, the tarnished brass strikes and echoes. No elated peals enunciate bliss or celebration. A forlorn warning arrives, the steady toll, metallic and foretelling. Stand aside, cross the road. My shadow and skin will not touch you. And then the last poem um, for this book is a poem called Touched. Circular wind lifts the leaves and scatters blossoms more numerous than minutes. I smell the imminent rain while pondering the weight of laden clouds. With fluorescent luminosity, the lights glow at dusk, no longer wearing a bell or carrying a bulbous rattle. I walk undetected, averting my eyes quickly to notice the neon that illuminates vacancies. After two millenniums, my skin, more than covering bones, is no longer the seven-layered source of your suspicion. All right, I'm going to read some poems from Fitting the Sixth Finger. This book came out in 20, earlier this year in May, and all of the poems in it are inspired by Marc Chagall, the paintings of Marc Chagall. After the first flood, that spectrum settling appears after hallelujahs and heartbreak, the start and finish of intangible hues progressing, then retreating, if only for a moment. A drab, sleepy life stirs by what is untouched overhead, what isn't lost but will be, a slipping moment more ethereal than imagination. How can light be an apparition, a bridge uncrossed, one promise that lacks stones, steps, or solidity, to stand beneath, to give unspoken reason for a lasting gaze? So one of the things that Chagall was very fond of painting, he liked to paint circus scenes. And uh, this is a poem about that. It's called before occupying center ring. Pliable as lemon, taffy, and whims, I contort, ecstatic on a horse's back, limber on one foot. I raise my leg in arabesque, stretch it toward the fullest moon, like my last exaggeration. Before the swell, the calliope's call, I study the acrobat, unbound, who swings over the bar, the sinewy back, the taut torso, moves in clockwise and counterclockwise hours, corner to corner, 
jacquard trapezoids of touching colors above an audible sea of gasps. The next poem that I'm going to read is called Creation. Abandoning the loom and a myriad of threads in sapphire, spun saffron, my hands sought copper plates, shiny aluminum, the proverbial weight of stone to etch meaning, to retain and repel ink absent of rhetoric, engraving all my joys and sorrows surrounded by rose petals and prolific wheat, prophets, lovers, fiddlers, a large iridescent fish without a school in the bay of wingless angels. The flutist called up the sun and improvised genesis in short, effortless breaths. And Chagall also painted many of his family members. The last poem that I'll read from this book is um, about a painting that he did for his brother, of his brother. It's called The Artist Paints His Brother. This act of convalescing, a footed bowl of tepid broth that took on clouds in the afternoon, one personal aftermath remained unwritten by the open window in abrupt syllables of necessary answers. Pecans fell prematurely, pummeling the roof pitched like a pair of prayerful hands, while David played the mandolin after untangling the strings, stretching their length to potential longitudes, crossing the river those never-visited lands, his jacket frayed without patches, hung green as the last cassava that ripened. And then I believe I will close with two poems that I chose. One, uh, the, poem, the next poem that I'm going to read is, was actually published in an anthology that celebrated Ella Fitzgerald's 100th birthday, and this is called A Reliable Luminosity. I want to listen to Ella Fitzgerald today. New Year is near and the world continues with its realities. The debates rage. A gun jams. Too many go off. Too many mood and actual triggers that put us in the wrong state. Too many denials. Too few conversations that lead to somewhere. I want to listen to Ella Fitzgerald today and imagine all the women in black dresses, the kind my mother wore, crepe or velveteen, lined in satin, a peau de soie with a singular strand of pearls that holds a reliable luminosity. The men know the meaning of special occasions. Along with keys and four-cornered cufflinks, they have chrome and stainless steel lighters. They remember to buy flints, and fluid on the way home. The press table linens come to chevrons, strategic diagonal points that graze the knees or shins as a given and only a given. Cocktail shakers make ice collide in hard consonants with bitters and bourbon almost in unison. Mostly everyone is drinking scotch on the cusp of finishing the first round. The candles flicker, but not with the same brightness or virtuosity of Ella, whose notes 
and improvised syllables elicit applause during and after every song. And then um, this last poem is actually um, about living, I guess, it's, it's a kind of a hurricane memory poem, um, considering that hurricane season lasts from June until November. Um, it's, I suppose it's on our mind a lot. They're on our mind a lot. Nocturne for Landfall. Stucco sweating, swollen wood down the hall, the corridor without windows, the 18 that give glimpses in each direction. Bamboo and ginger leaves slap the panes, an unhooked screen barely hinged with fine mesh ripping from southerly gusts. Kerosene burns in the depths of green glass. My mother, always the light sleeper, who hears the key as grooves enter the lock. Deadbolt to doorknob. So the last poem I'm going to end with is Nocturne for Landfall, um, and it's a hurricane memory poem. Stucco sweating, swollen wood down the hall, the corridor without windows, the 18 that give glimpses in each direction, bamboo and ginger leaves slap the panes, an unhooked screen barely hinged with fine mesh ripping from southerly gusts. Kerosene burns in the depths of green glass. My mother, always the light sleeper who hears the key as grooves enter the lock before opening in successive clicks, deadbolt to doorknob, her deliberations, inhaling and exhaling as the eye wall passes with its own rapid movement, counterclockwise, holding no dreams, in that whistle a pitch lower than shrill, entering the attic lined with cedar rafters, outstretched as crucifixes, bearing a body's weight. That was poet Gina Ferreira. And you've been listening to Figure of Speech, a community poetry and writing program from WRBH. Tune in Saturdays at 1 p.m. and every Monday at 9 p.m. for more great New Orleans writing. Thanks for listening.